I think the predominant conversation around postpartum time, especially postpartum sex, sexuality is like, my body's so different. It's not what it was. I don't want the same things. I don't know how they like, I don't know what to do with this new body. And some of, I mean, I'm in that place. Some of that is very, very real. And I get that. And the invitation from some of these practices in somatic sex ed are, well, can you expand what's possible in your body regarding pleasure? I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beer Pie people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Thanks for tuning in to the Pollination Mamas podcast where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinating as we span our wings, connecting the threads of ancestral wisdom in a modern context so that we can live a nurtured life. I believe ancestral wisdom provides a roadmap to a regenerative culture, contributing to thriving communities, healing and health. Hi everyone, welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. I've got uh, a new guest here, someone I've just discovered and I'll explain why. Uh, Stacey Ramsauer, actually, is that how I say it? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I was meant to ask Stacey Ramsauer from Sacred Body. Stacey is a yoga teacher, Ayurvedic lifestyle coach, somatic sex educator, body worker, and innate postpartum care professional, amongst other things. She offers a unique service of holistic, well woman care. Stacey's also the host of the Sacred Body podcast with the topics, main topics, food, birth, sex, and boundaries. So when I heard that, I was like, yeah, hello, I want to chat to this woman. So our common link is that I am, as some of you may have heard on the podcast and on social media, I'm currently coming towards the end of studying with Rochelle Garcia Saliga doing the innate postpartum care. And as Rochelle was coming to the end and Rochelle's opening up for the next sort of training, I said to Rochelle, hey, is there someone out there that um, you think would be great to have on the podcast and we could talk about our experiences with the training and, and how we're offering that in different ways. And she said, yes, Stacey. So um, that's how Stacey got here. And I'm super excited when I started looking into what you're doing and what you're offering, what you're sharing on social media. I was like, ah, oh, this is ticking all these boxes of more areas that I want to learn more about and I really want to share more about on the podcast. So thanks so much for being here, Stacey. It's such a thrill. I'm really, really glad to be here. And another thing I think I should note is that Stacey is pretty much in her fourth trimester, seven weeks coming, just sort of, you know, that coming out a little bit, which makes it even more special and amazing that you're here. <laughs> so I would love for you to share a little bit about, before we jump into all the juicy topics, well, this is a juicy topic too, but how are you going? You're seven weeks postpartum and you've got a little bubba at home. Tell us. Thank you for asking. Um, it has been, I just feel kind of like I've been in a time warp on, on one hand, I cannot believe that it's been seven weeks. It feels, you know, it's like my baby has always been here. This is just, this is life. It's all consuming in the best way. 
And as all moms, parents listening know, it's like the ultimate paradox. It's the hardest, most frustrating, most challenging, most rewarding, most nourishing, most incredible thing that, that you've ever experienced. Um, and I had a very stressful last month of pregnancy due to um, a GBS positive test and it created a lot of conflict between me and my midwife. I planned a home birth and um, you know, around the world, there's so much regulation of female bodies. And long story short, my home birth midwife told me that I was going to have to transfer my birth to the hospital and framed it in such a way that I, I thought she was not legally allowed to attend me at home. And after doing a tour of the hospital and just feeling like really kind of backed into a corner about how this whole experience was going to go. I learned that it was not illegal for me to have my baby at home, that it wasn't illegal for her to attend me at home. And I decided to fire her and hire another home birth midwife from about two hours away. And I pulled in all my resources. I have three doulas on hand. My midwife had an assistant and a student with her. My husband was here. Um, my parents were a phone call away and I went 41 weeks and four days and I woke up at five in the morning and I gave birth at three o'clock in the afternoon. It was like from zero to 60, I had had no contractions, no bloody show, no hints of anything happening. I thought I was going to go to like 44 weeks. <laughs> I was really getting frustrated and I woke up and it was like full on and my recovery, I believe it, it is going very, very well. And I believe that's because of my years of study about birth. Um, I had that privilege of learning and attending birth and I prepared, I, I moved to a different city. I didn't work for several months. I took really good care of my body. I have the privilege to do that. I called in a lot of care. And um, while I, I know that, like, I didn't control the outcome of my birth, I certainly set myself up for feeling very safe and taken care of. And I could just surrender to this extremely hard thing. And um, I was ready to let myself be taken care of. So for that first month, I didn't even really want to leave my bed. Um, it felt so vulnerable, but again, I had people around me encouraging that, encouraging my rest, encouraging time spent with my baby, and now I'm seven weeks out and like going to a yoga class or two a week and putting on makeup every now and then and uh, dealing with the emotional waves of like how it feels to be in my body and how it feels to be in the world um, and to be to be a mom. It's, really, really powerful and at the same time so vulnerable. Mm. And I'm just honored by the whole experience. Mm, thanks so much for sharing that. It is, it's really just full of contradictions and you can't, even with all the knowledge and all the planning, you just can't comprehend how immense that's going to be. Or how you just, 
it's an experiential thing and the contradictions of how full on and challenging with the joy and and sometimes I think like I thought maybe it'd be the joy would sort of balance it out so that when I was experiencing the challenges I'd be like oh it's okay I'm going to experience joy soon but no it's so (laughs) all-encompassing you're like will the joy come back (laughs) sometimes yeah but I love to hear that you have planned a lot and so yeah there's certain things you can't plan for like you said but there is a lot and it does make a difference no matter what the outcome when you've got that support team that planning and then that safe container and space is so much easier when you need it it's not like you're reacting it's already built and established and you've got people to call on so it's so beautiful to hear that in a modern context because you know, we do, we're looking at a lot of traditional wisdom around postpartum care, which we need to do. There's so much mm-hmm. wisdom there as a roadmap, but then to see how it's being implemented in a modern way. So hearing your story with your doulas and how you moved back to your family, that's huge, back to your parents. And yeah, you made those choices and how they're having benefits. So you look amazing and you're going to yoga classes. Like obviously all that rest and work and health, um, work that you've done it's making a difference it does and in the as you said I'm an Ayurvedic lifestyle coach and the the tradition of resting for 40 days is is quite universal through indigenous um, teachings but in the Ayurvedic system it there is a saying that it these 40 days can determine the next 40 years of a woman's hormonal well-being I took that very seriously. I've struggled a lot in my early life um, to establish anything resembling balance. And I was like, I'm not going back there. I'm not doing that. And if I can do anything um, to mitigate some of those challenges that are just inevitable after birth, I think, you know, there's there's a total reset of your system. Uh, I'm going to do everything that I can without making myself crazy about it, you know, but it's, um, it's a commitment. And I think part of, you know, we could spend all day talking about this specifically, but I just want to name that when it comes to our well-being as, as people and particularly birthing people, it's, it's framed in such a way in our culture that, um, you know, you should just let yourself be taken care of by the medical system but then we somehow forget or aren't also recognizing that currently the United States, at least where I am, is ranking amongst the worst of developed countries for maternal care and infant care. And so maybe that system doesn't actually have our best interests in mind. And it's for me, it wasn't enough to make the best of a bad system. <laughs> really it really meant a lot to me to step outside that system and let my intuition reign supreme. And I think that's why I had such an empowering experience because that's easily the first time in my life that my intuition got to reign supreme, that I wasn't also managing some other kind of people pleasing agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big, huge and it point. was very hard. I have to say, like, I want to say that over and over again. It was very hard to not have 
you know, to have to convince my parents that this is what I was doing and it was going to be okay to convince my husband that I needed to have my baby at home. And so we had to fire this midwife and find another one. Mm. Um, just because, you know, again, there's so much fear around birth too, but I knew I could do it. And that, uh, that I think comes from my good fortune of attending birth and witnessing birth, but also having really sought out powerful teachers who stand in that wisdom, as you know, Rochelle being one of them, like women, you can trust yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you have choices. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is a reflection of a broken medical system. I think America's statistics are much worse than Australia's, but it's still not great here. And there's a lot of talk in the media at the moment with a prominent uh, midwife, a professor, who's a proponent for uh, choice, but also bettering the system. People want to choose to birth there. And she's been talking a lot in the mainstream media about birth trauma and the statistics and how there needs to be a complete overhaul. And I think there will be. I think that's going to, it'll be very slow, but she's been working on this for decades and I think there will now be lots of policies and things changing due to her and other people's work, which is amazing because really it, it's so sad that people might be choosing due to fear of being in the system. So it's one thing to choose home birth because that feels like the best option, but then it's another this is a topic close to my heart, to choose it because you feel like hospital birth won't be a safe place to be. I actually, for my first, um, and I've spoken on the podcast a little bit about this, but not a lot, I um, had a home birth transfer to hospital and then my baby passed away. Not really anything to do with, and it's definitely not um, something I want to go into great depth in this podcast about. Maybe another time, nothing really to do with what happened in the hospital but I definitely chose the home birth option um, because I felt like it would be a safer place. I felt like I'd done lots of prep and understanding. I was close to the hospital. I trusted my provider, et cetera, et cetera. And then my subsequent birth I had in hospital due to my history. And oh, that was tough to navigate that. And it, I came to good places with it and I've learnt so much. Um, but yeah, wow, to go from like <laughs> completely trusting birth and being at home and then into that space. Um, yeah, we've got a long way to go with providing yeah. options for both so that it's not one or the other, that it doesn't feel like these two things on opposite ends of the spectrum, but something that is much closer together. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you naming the need to not make a choice based on fear, whatever that fear is, whether it's fear of the hospital or fear of home or fear of your body or fear of birth. Like it's important that we're not making decisions based on fear. Yeah. And education is the way forward. It is. And you're doing some amazing work around that. So I'd love to explore more about the Semitic sex education it's something that has piqued my interest a number of times listening to you know following MAGA mamas Kimberly Ann Johnson mm -hmm. and other people that sort of then led me to other people and listening to podcasts yeah it's something I'm super interested in and also something I really want to share more on the podcast because I think we're getting more and more practitioners are working in that area in Australia but it's fairly new and emerging 
uh, and more women and mothers especially need to know that this is an option for healing and for preparation. So yeah, I'd love for you to share uh, your training, your work, your experience with that personally. Thank you. It's um, very near and dear to my heart. I have just always, I've, sex is a big part of who I am and my experience of my body. And it has also, um, how do I say this? Like sex and sexuality is something innate to me and not necessarily something limited to or by intercourse. So I just want to make that specific because that's a big barrier for many of us when it comes to things like sexological body work, which is the modality that Kimberly Ann Johnson practices. And I know that's taught widely through Australia. There's lots of trainings there. It's basically Australia, Canada, and Los Angeles <laughs> where these trainings and providers are. I think Kimberly actually came to Australia originally. I think Kimberly actually yeah. did her first year in Australia. Yeah. So um, I have always felt strongly that sex and sexuality are innate, intuitive, natural, beautiful, wonderful. And I, again, had the privilege of being raised by a mother who always answered any question that I had. And according to her, I started asking about sex as soon as I could speak. <laughs> <laughs> asking about my body parts and exploring my body, and I was never shamed for it. Sex was never held up as something bad or dangerous. I remember vividly, um, I think I was in junior high, and I asked her, we were talking about sex, and she shared that, you know you're ready to have sex when you're ready for the emotional repercussions of it. Mm. Like it was tied very early on as like it's an important thing and it's an emotional thing and there's lots involved, not just hormones and lust. So I found my way to somatic sex education actually because of Kimberly Ann Johnson. I heard an episode of the motherbirth.co podcast and I'd been exposed to sexological body work years ago in my yoga studies and was pretty new to my doula career. And here's this woman saying the words, we want to be sexual mothers. And that just like broke me open. Yes. And sex to me feels like kind of the nexus or the bridge point for so many of these rites of passage, like you and I were talking about before. We started our conversation. The, set, the sexological body work and somatic sex education are fairly close, um, taught by a lot of the same faculty. But as a sex educator, I feel like I'm, I'm honored that my work is not, not only emphasizes body work or hands-on work, but really allows me to utilize this long history of yoga education and movement myself to bring people into a deeper awareness of their physical reality because it is through our bodies that we're expressing our subtle needs, our spiritual needs, our emotional needs. And most of that happens unconsciously because we're taught to dissociate from the earliest age. Most of us are. It's very rare you know, because most of us go to 
public school or private school, there's like a way that we're supposed to behave from a very early age that essentially teaches us to cut off awareness of our body. Sit in this chair, be still, don't touch yourself like that, don't make noise, and it's unnatural. And that kind of shaming of our natural instincts bleeds its way into all of our intimate interactions. And I think that is really the source of, you know, being super self-conscious of our bodies. And, and the more those impulses are driven underground or forced into the shadows, as they say, they squeeze their way out in usually misshapen ways. So indirectly, um, it can show up emotionally, hormonally, physically with like, you know, all sorts of reproductive challenges. And it has opened so many doors for me to enrich my experience of yoga, enrich my experience of Ayurveda, enrich my understanding of birth, enrich my personal life and relationships. And it's one of those things where as soon as you start, for me, as soon as I started, um, walking through this work, realizing what a huge community I have out there. It felt so life affirming and at the same time, so challenging to be in so many relationships because there is just uh, a dominant attitude of suppression, repression of sexuality and the body and this very, very limited understanding and view of sexuality as penetrative sex or, you know, it's so absolute. It's drawn in absolutes. You're either having good acceptable sex or you're like having disgusting, reprehensible sex. And there's nothing yeah. in between. There's no context for even like why someone might want to have and be fulfilled by reprehensible sex. Like I think <laughs> hot but um, I digress <laughs> I'll, I'll give it back to you for a question or response <laughs> oh, I, I love that you touched on so many topics I think it's really key and important to talk that you mentioned that sex is we're not just talking about the physical act it's almost like we're talking about a vital force this yeah. life force that runs through us this sexuality and this sexual energy that start is there from the moment that we start to explore ourselves very young age and then sort of you know that big surge into teenagehood mm -hmm. it starts to emerge and express itself in more definite ways um but yeah it's a life force thing and having girls and boys it's different but me i'm thinking a lot about you know with my young girls and as they're just naturally discovering what this energy is it's there from such a young age. It's just that we've given it this tiny little box that's mm -hmm. sex and it's only for these times and it's only in these ways. But, yeah, when you break that open and expand that out, I love that, that it's more than that. It's that energy and it's that vital force. So you wrote something really great on your website. Um, it's about appetite, desire, longing, loss and creativity Sex and sexuality is basic human rights and fundamental to thriving. And, yeah, when you break that open and you start looking at it as just this basic human right, it 
changes how you think about it. It's not something done just in privacy, that we're always accessing that energy in some way and having experiencing internally with ourselves sexually. Yeah, it comes through in this understanding, you know, most people I know in my my community that I've grown up with is very Judeo-Christian centric. And that is, I think, for many people, the source of the sense that pleasure is an indulgence and indulgence is sinful. Yeah. You're only supposed to take as much as you're given and you're supposed to be happy with what you've been given. And where this connects us to everything else, whether it's birth or food or relationships or anything else, is that it's a nervous system function to orient, to be able to orient toward pleasure. Ah, this feels good to me. This makes me feel safe. This gives me desire this arouses me if we're not if that skill set is not cultivated you get all sorts of wonky behavior and you know because we're also talking about birth specifically here people ending up in their birth scenario with almost no reference point for where their safe place is and that's how we get a lot of the trauma it's not, you know, exclusive to that. And, and I don't want to limit that conversation or make myself an expert there either. But just to say that being able to orient to pleasure in our bodies and have that be recognized and celebrated by our caretakers as valuable and something that is ours, like, that we own it, I own my pleasure, that's not happening by and large. And that is the crucial piece. And I think the reason for somatic sex education is to reorient to the fact that pleasure is fundamental to our well-being, to our empowerment. And I think a lot in terms of the chakra system, because I've studied it so intensely, baseline is survival just your basic 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 needs it has nothing to do with does this feel good or not it's am i gonna die or not right like is there food is there shelter the next level of our development as human beings is pleasure so yeah is this nice am i part of a group can i express myself it's all the juicy things that make our life feel fluid and the next level up from there which requires the first two levels is power and discernment mm, that confidence and self-assurement yeah i love that model of um philosophy uh, yeah that baseline and moving up the chakras and people sometimes discount it because there's been so much um in the alternative <laughs> world that just that mass sort of symbolism, always branding of the chakras at the actual underlying meaning, which is so basic in the sense that it is so practical, but makes it's actually complex and makes a lot of sense when you look at the depth of it as well. And you're just looking at it from when they're born, babies just have that basic level, they just need to survive. Yeah. And then they start to understand the pleasure. Am I being, I need to be held for pleasure. I need to be comforted in different ways. 
that doesn't go away. It <laughs> doesn't change. And then moving up. And also I was thinking as you're talking and we're talking about birth and sexuality, that there's a common saying that what got the baby there usually, I know that you know there's all different ways that babies can be conceived, but in general is the same energy, that sexual energy, as getting the baby out. Mm-hmm. So if someone has, and I can actually, so I'm not judging anyone here because I really think my first birth was a little bit hindered. There was a lot of stuff going on. I'd had some trauma not in my own relationship but um, and not even sexual trauma, but had all this stuff that had kind of created some fear, that just life circumstances had come around. But also I'd lost a bit of connection to my sexuality um, and just I don't know how. It was just sort of life circumstances, maybe because of this other event. And I really think it hindered my birth. And I had always been fairly freely sexual. I was pretty lucky also. My mother spoke about it. It was never shut down. Um, my mum had broken away from a lot of the guilt-ridden paradigms and was a little bit alternative, so that was open for me. So it was really the first time in my life in that pregnancy where I maybe wasn't as tapped in as I had been, and I do think it was part of, not wholly. Um, so, yeah, can, I'd love for you to share a little bit about what you think about that idea of sexual energy assisting in the birth from conception through to birth. Well, there are lots of ways to be sexual, and I don't think all of them are helpful. Um, like my, I, I feel like I've gone through a few waves with my sexuality where early on, my earliest experiences, I felt, I feel, you know, in retrospect, as well as in the present moment, I felt pretty empowered. And then it sort of became this other kind of power play for a long time. Um, and a lot of it was based on fear, like, uh, without going into too much detail, just my intention and my understanding of my own sexuality and that power, um, became kind of manipulative. I'll just put it that way. And then after doing a lot of healing work, following a miscarriage, I just reorganized my relationship to my body and my sexuality was there front and center. And really, I mean, it changed dramatically. Within one relationship, um, my sex life with my husband changed radically. And something that's interesting to me about, you know, this conversation of sex and sexuality and understanding the deeper essence of it. So it's not just sex and sexuality someone else thinking I'm hot and then us having penetrative sex. If you go underneath that, deeper into that eroticism, attraction, desire, it extends to all of our relationships. And I mean, relating to everything, everything and everyone, um, including sensation, which is a key point when we're talking about birth. If I am relating to my body as sexual and I understand that as having a sense of safety and security and pleasure in my body, that can look so many different ways. That can be self-play. That can be play that involves no touch. That can be, you know, fast flow, however you want to frame it. But 
if I'm curious about sensation and cultivating that capacity within myself to discern, is this good? Is this what I want? Do I need to slow down? What could make this better? Those are a lot of the words that one will hear in a session with a sexological body worker or a somatic sex educator. What could make this better? Got, you know, guide this experience. What are you feeling? And I'm just reading a book. Um, it's actually by an Australian, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. And she talks a lot about the impact of, you know, the most popular interventions in birth and an interruption in the hormonal patterning that is embedded in birth created by both Pitocin and epidurals, a big problem with numbing our vagina is that we're not interacting, we're not participating. And so for lots of reasons, people lose access to sensation in their genitals. It's not just, you know, a medical intervention, but a trauma or punishment at some point in their life that kind of had a traumatic ripple effect. And I think that, um, if we want to really be in, I don't want to say be in control, but be in our power in any situation, whether it's, you know, directly involving our genitals or not, having access to that place in our body is crucial. Like, this is mine. And only I can interpret these signals. And it's my interpretation of these signals that's going to determine the outcome, right? The, the sensations involved in my birth were so overwhelming to me. I never, I was so excited to give birth and I never anticipated that I would feel as scared as I did and just overwhelmed by the sensations, but sensations in my body, I've spent so much time cultivating a relationship with them, I never felt unsafe. And I think that's why my birth went the way that it did in part. Mm. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it feels like you had tools to be able to tune into what was going on, which relates back to what you're saying about how all through our childhood, especially through our schooling and our society, we're told to shut off and to very much coming into the head. It's just staying in the head, shut off all these, don't move around too much, but don't talk too much. Don't release the energy in this way, only release the energy in that way in private or there or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. But in birth and in life, we actually need the opposite, but it's heightened in birth is that we need to be able to tune in to all those sensations and not shut them off, not go into our head. We need to let our body sort of be able to take over and we need to let all those hormones do their job. And if we and can't- even in, you know, speaking specifically explicitly about sex with ourselves or with a partner, reaching these peak states requires a good bit of surrender to the sensations and increasing our capacity to sense and to feel and to stay present when things are getting big and to know how to rein it in if we're feeling unsafe or disconnected. I mean, that is the essence of Tantra. And I'm I, <laughs> one of my teachers calls it California Tantra. I'm not a practitioner of California Tantra. <laughs> 
<laughs> I haven't been to California, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's not a knock on California. It's just yeah, kind of like, yeah, I know. Referring to this yeah. narrowed view of what this energetic system actually involves. Yeah. But when we can um, tune into our sexuality, like you so beautifully put, as our life force, mm. as a kind of essential thread of our intelligence, I think that's another word that's very rarely associated with sexuality. You know, I think across the world, everyone refers to like, you know, we talk about the penis as like the second brain, but like the stupid one. It's like, well, not, why isn't there intelligence there? Yeah. It's been so shut off. Yeah. And when it turns on, the power is so great but we can wield this power intelligently. We've just forgotten how. Mm, yeah, I love that. And so then taking that awareness as well, well, actually weaving that, so the somatic sex education, it sounds like it's really sort of this undoing, this unlearning of how we've been taught to shut off, to start reconnecting, awakening that life force and learning to be able to hold that and sit with that in so many situations, but extra, extra powerful in those moments of birth and in our own sexual experiences. Um, and then through into postpartum as well, like you said, that we can experience all sorts. Who knows what the outcome is going to be in birth? We can go in really, really prepared and the preparation helps the best <laughs> it can, but then certain things come into play. And the then do, happens. Yeah, that's right. And um, I have to say my labour at home was so beautiful and I really think it was also partly to do because I'd done a lot of, um, I'm not a yoga teacher, I've done a lot of yoga practice, a lot of breath work, a lot of meditation and mindfulness, although more the physical embodiment stuff. And I really think it helped with the labor to be able to breathe through it, to really just be able to be in that physical situation. It was quite beautiful, I have to say, even in the most immense moments. Um, but we come out, like I came out with a, a C-section. <laughs> so I gave it. And people come out with other traumas, whether that's in the vulva, vagina, whether you had surgery. So then tracing that thread through of how somatic sex education could then help with our healing afterwards because then you're this whole new person on so many levels. You cross the threshold into motherhood. You're this whole new being. You're navigating this whole new world. Plus you've got this phys new physical body that may or may not have injuries, but it's definitely got changes. <laughs> and so what has that been for you and when you work with other women using somatic sex education as a tool to navigate that new, that new world? I love that question. Um, it really is, the answer to that is really the essence of somatic sex education, which is to expand what is possible. So a lot of, um, I think the predominant conversation around postpartum time, especially postpartum sex, sexuality is like, my body's so different. It's not what it was. I don't want the same things. I don't know how they like, I don't know what to do with this new body. And some of, I mean, I'm in that place. Some of that is very, very real. And I get that. And the invitation 
from some of these practices in somatic sex ed are, well, can you expand what's possible in your body regarding pleasure? Because a lot of that disappointment comes from a very narrow view of what is fulfilling, what is possible, what is sexual, what is wild, what is, you know, and, and our, our limited understanding of, you know, we live in these absolutes of like, what is good sex and what is bad sex? What is acceptable? What indicates that I'm vibrant and alive and in my power? Like a pretty limited set of activities that are outlined by Cosmopolitan Magazine. <laughs> yeah. That are like, when, for me, as I've taken a step back, I look at, I look at all of those articles and I don't think I'm alone in this, but I don't want anyone to feel judged either, but like they're pretty immature. Yeah. It's a pretty immature view of sex and sexuality and relationship and intimacy, whether you're in a committed relationship or not. Like, you know, so, so in working with myself primarily because I was, you know, the guinea pig before I started offering services to other people, a lot of it had to do with tapping into that reality that my experience of myself as empowered and sexual was really limited and actually involved a lot of behavior that wasn't true for me anymore, authentic for me anymore, and actually held a lot of pain. So there's this constant emotional kind of purging that goes, that coincides with this other work. Um, and so, again, it all comes back to, are things safe enough? Are you in a safe enough container in your, in your relationship, your partnership, your community, with your care provider, where you can really talk through these things and give yourself the necessary time to kind of flush out what was, what has been, and really begin to imagine for yourself, what do you want now? And what's it going to take to get there? Because maybe you want the same thing that was before, but you're going to have to work around a physical injury or a psychological experience or just like my experience right now. Like I just need grandma to take my baby for three hours so that I have time to have sex with my husband. <laughs> yeah. Or to get you know, to the healing, to get to the place where you want to have sex. So yeah. someone out there is listening and they're thinking, and it doesn't matter what stage postpartum someone is or if they're in the preparation, what would you be saying to someone as far as preparing or then um, if they're on the other side and they're thinking, I need to get some healing and get to this place, what are people's options and what does that look like when they engage in that modality for their healing? First things first, ensure that there's a safe enough container for communication with whomever it is you're going to be sexual with. And it might just be yourself. It might, I mean, I recommend that engage with yourself personally. I had to spend several hours with myself and my vulva and feel scar tissue and feel, you know, where am I numb? Where am I really sensitive? So that I knew how to guide my partner. But then that's the next part. Do you feel safe enough at present? to say to your partner, I'm going to need you to go really slow. And somatic sex education has given me, although it's not limited to that modality, uh, an activity 
created by a sex educator named Betty Martin. Her website is bettymartin.org. It's called The Three Minute Game. And it's part, she's, she's um, really made a name for herself educating on consent. The Wheel of Consent is her creation. And it's a way of engaging with your own sense of, of desire, of pleasure. So given three minutes with a partner of your choosing, one person will touch the other person for three minutes based on an invitation. I would like you to fill in the blank for three minutes. Are you open to that? And really engaging that part of the dialogue, like, are you available for this? I would like you to touch me this way. Are you available for that? And then negotiating with your conversation. Um, I, I can do it like this. And then within those three minutes, is this what you want? Can you guide my touch? What could make this better? I mean, I personally, I don't know anyone who starts out their intimate life engaging with their partner in that way. And no. then you just kind of like go along and develop bad habits or means of like establishing boundaries or not. And even within a marriage, like I brought these tools into my marriage and it was hard and great and absolutely necessary for especially this time um, being postpartum, but also like going through some relational stuff where maybe you're just not, you know, a trust rupture or a boundary rupture and you're trying to find a new way of being intimate with your partner again. It's absolutely essential. Um, and just to like pick up a toolbox to work out some kinks in your relationship, I think that's super powerful. And then you just start to get better and better at it. But, you know, it takes time and it takes a willingness to be in kind of an awkward place and just name it. Like, this is awkward. My body feels awkward. I'm probably going to cry. I cried a ton the first time I had sex with my husband after birth. And I knew that I was safe to do so. He understood what was going on, so he didn't have to take on any of that. Mm. And, and wow, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of amazed. And right. I, I want everyone to be able to have an experience like that. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking as you were talking, wouldn't it be amazing if that's how people started? That's oh, my God. Experience. And then you said that. But then I was thinking, well, we've always got an opportunity to recreate that and redo that. And it is hard because we've established patterns. But postpartum is a really beautiful time because yeah. we, even if it's not a real conscious thing, everyone ex acknowledges that it's vulnerable, it's a sensitive time, the body has changed. And as we're all gaining more understanding and more education around what traditional wisdom has always known in postpartum, is that this is a great time for an opportunity for healing. Mm -hmm. So many cultures said that you have an opportunity to heal past uh, ailments and issues and to prevent them in the future. So then also around sexuality, what a beautiful time to be able to come in with these new tools and really kind of slow it down and start from scratch in this complete new way and build new patterns. So I love that you've really given some great practical examples there of how to do that. And that, yeah, that game and the new language, finding that new language that can feel really awkward 
that then leads to some actions that could feel awkward, but then in the end create some beautiful patterns um, and some great exchange. Yeah, I, I do think that the language is essential, like to oversimplify it, the difference between the sex that I had before having a baby and the sex that I'm having now is that there's a lot more talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the touch, I was thinking about the touch leading up to it too. So all traditional cultures in the postpartum had a lot of touch for the new mother mm-hmm. and it feels like it's such a huge rupture to the nervous system after birth and sexuality is so entwined in the nervous system and all cultures had a lot of time. It feels like just, it was all about grounding the mother and helping her come back um, into feeling like the nervous system could be a little bit more settled and regulated after that huge event. And so I guess sexuality in that also, there needs to be safety, but it can be, a tool so we need certain healing for the nervous system to feel safe but then it can be a tool to enhance that regulation of the nervous system too what do you think about that absolutely i like the term non-goal oriented touch yeah that's from the three minute game specifically oh yeah yeah this is not what we're gonna use as foreplay this is just three minutes in time yeah the three minutes of feeling good and i think you know because of the context of our conversation i'm going to directly link a big part of all of those touch um, offerings of touch in the postpartum time where it's like non-goal oriented i'm not here to get you off i'm not here to like fix the problem i'm here to douse you in oil which is the ayurvedic tradition the word for oil is the same as the word for love. I love that. I'm just here to give you access to your whole body. Remember, it's all connected and kind of turn back on these neurons like, oh, yeah, my feet. That feels really good. Now I know I can ask my partner to rub my feet because that would give me tremendous pleasure. And that allows us to feel close and that allows me to feel seen and it doesn't have to go anywhere or mean anything but it's intimate and it's lovely and the more practices we have like that of being able to engage intimately without it having to lead to sex or an outcome I think is a big part of um, the value of these indigenous postpartum practices and what I would just call intuitive postpartum practices. And I'll say for myself, I'm really touch oriented by nature, but especially after giving birth, I found myself, you know, it was great to have someone make a meal for me and great to have someone help tidy around the house or take the baby, but I found myself just needing a hug. Like I just need you to wrap your body around me. I need to feel the weight of your body. I need you to touch me. I need to be held. I need, can you come over and just cuddle on the couch, please? Um, And I do think that that can, you know, my willingness and my training to be able to ask for that. Like, I want to be clear, like four years of training (laughs) to have this vocabulary and the comfort to ask um, enabled 
a smoother transition back into a sex life with my husband mm, mm. and myself and yourself. Yeah. That comfortability. And, and as a, you know, to directly address your question about the nervous system, it is, as I referred to it before, sex involves peak experiences, like peak energetic hormonal rushes. And if there's not first that baseline of just like, okay, here's, here's my back. This is what my back feels like. There's a leg. <laughs> These are my arms. I really like having my face touched, you know, to be able to call on our whole physical experience is really essential so that there's that um, container for what we're experiencing. Your nervous system requires full body awareness to function properly. I have said this to so many yoga students, your nervous system doesn't know that you're the difference between the energetic of being chased by a bear or just sticking your butt out and not really being grounded in your feet. Your nervous system just reads like we're not connected to the earth. Something must be wrong. Mm, yeah, absolutely. We still have a primal nervous system. Mm hmm. Mm, going so many directions. I know. I, we're not, <laughs> oh, so much good stuff we've touched on already. I would love to hear what your plans have been or what you plan to do for your own physical healing and I'm not asking you to go into detail of what that is but the types of practitioners that you may see or if you're doing any of your own work um and yeah I don't know if we've really covered it but what that would look like for someone if they went to a, a, a birth worker or a body worker because then we're talking about we're really talking about that non-sexual touch and it's it's a big concept for people to think that they might go to someone again after birth and be touched again, but to do that in a way that they have that control over. Right. And I think, well, I just want to interrupt you. Yeah, to, yeah, please. To jump off of that point specifically. It is such a foreign concept for us as Westerners, that we would go to a care provider and not be touched non-consensually. Like, there's so much medical touch that is invasive. And that, I think, is the hang-up, because we've not experienced consensual or non-sexual touch of our genitals. And so it's hard to imagine, and I will be totally transparent here, I was very nervous, insecure to start my somatic sex educator training because of this. I was like, but what if I don't want to? And in my week-long bodywork-centered training, I actually left training one day, skipped the entire next day because I was trying to wrap my brain around the fact that I could say no. That there was no punishment or consequence for saying no if I didn't want to do something. Mm. And it was the single most profound experience of my life. Wow. I came back to this group of people and everyone was so celebratory of this experience, this breakthrough that I had had. But I can't um, convey with 
enough importance that somatic sex educators, sexological body workers, in, and I'm certain they're all over the world, but Tammy Lynn Kent is an educator. She's, she's come to Australia. She has. We're getting more. Yeah, we're getting more um, workers that are trained with her. There's not a lot. That closest to here is about three hours away. But we're getting more. It's good. <laughs> and, and the training starts with creating a safe enough container for the, for the client, the person receiving, to dictate their boundaries. Have you done the training with Tammy Lynn? Doing it in March. Oh, great, yeah. There's a lot of similar hands-on work I've studied with Kimberly Ann Johnson, mm -hmm. and to, you know, it's, it's my own nervous system regulation so that I can read another person's nervous system. And I've said to a number of clients, like, I don't think touch is where we need to work today. Mm -hmm. Even even when there's been the kind of invitation, like, yep, I'm ready. It's sort of like, you know, going to the gynecologist and, you know, you're going to feel cold, just relax, breathe, but you're not consenting necessarily or participating in it. Um, and being able to be in the space of a practitioner who's trained in, I think, the subtler nervous system but also emotional layers that are inevitably going to be peeled back so that a big part of this process for me is not just the healing that comes through the touch itself but the emotional release that is inevitable when we realize like how many times our boundaries have been crossed and here I am in the presence of someone who cares that I said no like I, I mean, I'm on the verge of tears myself. It's yeah, just such it's a universal experience for the human body, particularly I think the female body. But I don't want to limit anyone's reality there. Um, I just hold that in my female body and like the memories that I carry in my DNA of my no not being considered valuable. So I, I highly recommend any person with genitals who has had their boundaries crossed seek the support of an SSE provider, somatic sex educator or sexological body worker and um, know that you're seeking support from someone who deeply values your boundaries. <laughs> Yeah, I think you really some, I'm so glad you've said that, that anyone can access this, but you've really summarized how and why that could be so healing because there's so many experiences along the way where people are told in subtle ways that they didn't have autonomy over their body. And I'm glad that you mentioned that participating, like if you go to the gynecologist and maybe you're getting a pap smear or whatever, they might talk you through it, but you're not participating. And so the nervous system can really stay stuck in that moment, even though in time you've moved away from it. And so by going back into a space where you're revisiting your body in a similar way with someone else, but in a way where you're, you have autonomy and you're participating, you're kind of, you're starting to rewire yourself. You're creating a different circuit. You're saying this, 
can play out a different way. It, I don't have to stay stuck there. It doesn't mean you leave it behind forever and it doesn't come up a hundred more times. <laughs> but hopefully it's a little bit easier each time and that you can go back and you can rewire again and you can recircuit that. It's, yeah, it always gets me really emotional to think of how many women, especially I know this is for everyone, but talking about birth and, and people with wombs and women's bodies that um, are birthing out there that have experienced this, like so many at this time are living with this. And But there's options out there for healing and and there's this conversation as well. It's almost like a lot of people aren't even talking about this. Some mums at a mums group I was going to a while ago would joke that I like vaginas would all, I'm not even a sex body worker, but <laughs> so passionate about this that vaginas would always come up somehow or viruses or prolapses or periods. <laughs> and they loved it because they're like, oh, we never talk about this. And it was just that, oh, we can talk about this. There's a, it's okay to just chat about it. <laughs> I had a friend say to me, vaginas came up the other day and I thought of you and I said, oh my God, that makes me so good. She's like, I always think of you when I think of vaginas. <laughs> it was like the deepest compliment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the I still, as, as a practitioner, as a participator, I do think the sexological body work somatic sex ed, holistic pelvic care, which is Tammy's work. I think it's radical work. I think it's super edgy because it's not the dominant culture. And in order for us to transcend that dominant culture, we're going to have to walk the edges. But as I, as I mentioned, my edgiest experience was keeping all of my clothes on and separating myself from the group and saying, no, I don't want to participate. Mm. And that cracked me open and allowed so much healing to happen and allowed me to come back to the group and feel so much more a part of it and seen in my truth. And that's super powerful. And that wouldn't have happened had I not entered the group in the first place, had I not engaged the work in the first place. So it's not, you know, as one of my teachers said, the work is not about just like, not to be crass, but like laying on a table and, you know, having manual sex with a stranger, like that's not what it is by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it, our cultural, what we hold in our collective conscience about sex, we realize how limited it is when we start to engage the possibility of, you know, genital touch. And it's like, well, what, why yeah there's so much there's so much power there again because it is a place of so much humanity and vulnerability it's so much more than just what we've what we've limited it to as a culture yeah absolutely i would love to hear about your experience with innate postpartum care. When did you study with Rochelle? Uh, just over a year ago, I went to Taos and was with her in person. So right. it was August, 2018. Yeah. Yeah, so I've, I'm just coming to the end and mm -hmm. it's been 
It's been really powerful. A lot of people have been that are because I've studied to become a postpartum jeweler in, here in Australia and connecting with various networks. And Rochelle just has this amazing capacity to give things language. Yeah. So no matter where you're at, like I felt like I was fairly well studied and I was really immersed in this postpartum um, care and looking at traditions and how we can weave that into a modern way. But I just needed to give it some more depth because I wanted to go out in the world in a greater way with education. And when I would hear Rochelle talk or read her words, it would just, I was like, yes, that's it. I knew that, but it gave me language. But at the same time, I learned so much because there's so much content. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about your experience doing the course in person as well and how that's influenced your work in the world or even you and your postpartum, your experience now coming into motherhood. My experience with Rochelle was super deep um, for a lot of reasons. Part of what you said rang true for me. She's, she's such a passionate human being. So there's so much fire in her. That's her nature. Her words are clear. Her intention is crystal clear. She holds such deep ceremonial space as a person, as a mother, as a teacher, that there's... Um, you know, and they, they talk about, they use this language with spiritual teachers, that there's a transmission. And I feel that way about Rochelle um, because her life pivots on such a deeply spiritual point that there is a kind of transmission happening when she teaches. And she's speaking to the universal human experience, which I think is a big part of it, right? Like this is universally true because of how we are as human beings like this is the way of life this is mother nature's law that's what she's speaking to she's not speaking in this more you know most doula trainings are fairly masculine in that they are pretty um, mental and linear and educating us to work within a system and rochelle is teaching us how to live as human beings on planet earth <laughs> and be in right relationship to mother nature. Um, so, you know, I loved that. And I felt that deeply going to her home in Taos and being on this land and being fed and like held in the space of this is what it looks like and feels like to live in right relationship with mother nature and being guided through some of the more, um, personal internal practices like some of the womb healing work and doing the reboso work in person was particularly poignant for me. I was, I was there following a fairly traumatic year. So August, 2017, exactly a year before I did my training with Rochelle, uh, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston and destroyed my house. I had nine feet of water in my house. I lost everything. And about six months later, I had a miscarriage. That was my first pregnancy. And about uh, a month later, I had a pretty severe rupture within my marriage. And so I was pretty raw when I sat in that space. And I was healing myself. I was healing my 
my womb and my basically lifetime up to that point of disconnect from my womb. And I think that had something to do, you know, there's a lot of ancestral work embedded into Rochelle's teachings and the way that she weaves that in and her husband wove that in in person with us, like every day began with a prayer and giving thanks for the people who enabled us to be present there in that moment. Who's taking care of your family? Who's taking care of your dog? Who's taking care of your food? Give thanks for that. And part of my personal story is that I'm adopted. And so there was a lot of womb healing just in being able to like deal with that in a direct and continuous way. Like I've done it in some of my, um, spiritual work in the past, but this was five days of like continuous holding and honoring and talking and sharing and listening. And so how I felt emerging from that time was like, I felt a rewiring happening. I felt a deep trust in my body and a real desire to impart that to as many people as possible. Like, we should all have that as just our basic human right, that we trust our body. We trust the land that we stand on. We are in reverential relationship with both. Your body is your planet earth. Um, And it was like three weeks later that I went to Canada and did my intimacy educator work and had that moment of recognizing my, my embodied no and also was guided through a practice, a body awareness practice, where for the first time in my entire life, I felt I had the visceral experience of my uterus and my ovaries, and I can see them, and I can almost hear them, and two months later, I was pregnant. Wow. (laughs) Of course you were. (laughs) Of course I was. Of course I was, but I, you know, I felt pregnant, easily I had a very uneventful pregnancy I you know it it was a long time coming and a lot of work that got me to that point but this is this is also something that I wish to impart it takes work Mm. in the last month of my pregnancy when things got kind of hairy Rochelle was a huge support for me and we, I just interviewed her for my podcast. Oh, so, great. You know, yeah. This conversation too. But, you know, to create the life that we want takes a lot of effort. And especially yeah. if the life that we truly desire doesn't look like the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot more effort than I think innately we feel like we should have to expend. <laughs> but within the dominant culture, it, we have to. Yeah. And weighing up the costs of not. Sometimes when you're tired, if you're like, oh, maybe I should just, like, why do I always feel like I have to expend so much energy to recreate this world when it looks like just going with the dominant culture might be a little bit easier? But then if you step into it, (laughs) step into that world where um, we're not looking to like you said, nature as our guiding law, 
or certain traditional wisdoms as that, or our physiology and our body as guiding, so listening to our body and what that's telling us, then what are the costs? And they're usually pretty big. Like I know <laughs> that it's, and then it doesn't become a choice. It's sort of like, well, I can't. I have to be a part of this wave of recreating something new because that's not working. All we have to yeah. do is look at health issues, look at how many reproductive issues women are experiencing, postpartum mental health issues in Australia. It's similar to America, like the leading cause of death in Australia for a mother in the first year after birth is suicide. Oh my this is like we have a serious issue. This is the canary in the coal mine socially. We have environmental things and that's a whole other subject. They are connected. But when we're talking about social system and then when the midwife I spoke about earlier in the podcast who's working on birth trauma within the system and she really does not beat around the bush when she says this is influencing our society. Mothers are the first point of contact usually for babies, which are our children, which then go on to become our adults in our society. This is having repercussions all the way through. Um, and so then it doesn't become an option and Rochelle just paints that so clearly the way she talks about physiology as a roadmap to look at how we can recreate and or, um, adjust our practices for care and our practices for understanding ourselves and our connections and the way that she really outlines not only what mothers need, but the way that we need to come together as a community in a village uh, is so profound as well at a time when we all know, a lot of us know that we need to, it takes a village. We know that saying, but how do we do that? What does that look like to be the village? Right. In different ways. That's going to be different for different people in different circumstances and in a modern way. And not idolising and romanticising traditional wisdom because some things just won't work now, but we sort of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. What I love about the modern context is the different role that men might play is they might be much closer in that touch and that nurturing and that caregiving than maybe some traditions, not all. I find that pretty exciting. Yeah, it's like a necessary adaptation that we have to make in this time when most of us don't live in community. Yeah. So if we're living in a nuclear family, then that nucleus has to show up differently if we're yeah. going to heal. And it's like, it's just survival adaptation. Yeah. So we get back to, um, I think, what is more innate to us, which is to live closer to each other, to have shared walls with doors that we open and, you know, <laughs> A common courtyard where we eat together and where the babies can be held by the mother that's closest and, you know, emotionally available. It really is this um, powerful call to get back to what we know to be true in our bones, how people have survived for hundreds of years. Forever, yeah when you see the points in history where there was the most death and destruction, it's the points in history where the dominant culture said, you know, created a hierarchy and separated people by completely arbitrary means and said, you shall have access to 
care and blah, blah, blah. But it's like the people who were surviving at that time had attendance, you know, had like chambermaids and whatever else. Like there were hundreds of people around them at all times taking care of them. <laughs> it's just kind of crazy to me that um, we've fallen under this spell of thinking that separation is going to make us better. Yeah. Separation is what kills us. Like mm. we are an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful teacher, Daniel Four, who does a lot of his work is the ancestral healing, ancestral medicine. And I was just listening to one to part of his course. And he was saying the mistake is thinking that humans are separate from nature. Like talks about humans and other than humans in regards to our ancestors and it's just such a beautiful way of framing it and in the interest of our collective well-being the mothers as that canary in the coal mine it's also a microcosmic view of the earth and what's happening to our planet take her out of her environment, her community, her body, her power, disregard her desires, and you will get destruction of your society. Mm, Absolutely. And just normalizing that it is normal that if you're alone, caring for yourself and your baby and possibly your family alone most of the time, you're going to feel sad and depressed. That is a normal thing rather than the dominant paradigm, which just gives that a mental health term and medicalizes it and often medicates that. I doubt that there is many mothers that go to a GP or doctor and say, this is how I'm feeling and get told, well, that's normal. You need more support. Right. Before we try medication. (laughs) Before we try. I'm sorry. Let's let's (laughs) Yes. And that's not to shame anyone who's done, who's used medication to survive that. You're just surviving in a world that where you need to do what you need to do. But Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no shame in doing what you need to do and, you know, just acknowledging like the right support has not been given. Yeah. The whys, looking at the real whys, not that there was something wrong with the particular person, but the support system wasn't there. And I just think, oh, it must've been really intense doing this. <laughs> the continuous seven or 10 day training, whatever it is with Rochelle, because I've been doing it over months. And um, in a way I would love to do that face to face. It's a different sort of learning that you do. And especially the practical hands-on care, the rebozo and other womb care. Um, But in a way it's been good to do it online as well. I think there definitely benefits to both because for a week or two, I could sort of integrate some knowledge and, and more than the knowledge, like definitely a lot of knowledge. Um, I've learned a lot. Rochelle's teaching is very practical, grounded um, in her actual experience and in the body and physiology. But also like the inner work that you do have to do as you become um, more aware of, of caring, going into a carer role and working with people and looking at your own stuff and your own journey either to be a carer or a mother or both. And I knew that stuff would come up, but I didn't know what it was. Sometimes, often you just don't know. And so whatever that was that was coming up, I needed some space in between. Whereas I think if I had done the face-to-face, I probably would have 
it would have been really amazing and activating, but I would have had to give myself that space afterwards. I would have had to go away for a week or two and go, right, <laughs> and give myself some real gentleness and time to integrate that as well. And either way of learning would have been amazing. Um, but, yeah, if anyone's thinking about doing innate training and you really want to develop your language and your offering to do community education but also really grounded practical but um, holistic care that also acknowledges that rite of passage, then I think innate training is a really good place to go. And it's not just for doulas, it's for birth, um, birth workers, midwives. Mental health professionals in the US get continuing ed units yeah. as well, which is such an incredible, incredible um, push in the right direction. Yeah. Um, I also, I really think anyone who just cares about this topic, yes, you don't have to feel like you're directly involved with it professionally. Um, get the language, get the context, yeah. get the information, get the experience, mm. get the community for yourself, because that's what it boils down to. The healing will happen through a paradigm shift in the collective, like her, her tagline, midwifing a cultural shift. I need my friends who aren't interested in having babies to understand what it is to have babies if they're going to be able to show up as support people. You know, it can't just be the whole culture has to understand what it entails to have children. That's the crux of it. Cause often we're talking to the mothers. But yep. we need to be talking to everyone, <laughs> not just the partners, not just Everybody the great parents. Everybody has to see the value in this if we're going to, you know, I do think I'm, I'm really passionate about, like, taking it upon ourselves to create a new paradigm. But at the same time, like, I, I need everyone in my community to understand what a massive thing it is to carry a child, birth a child, care for a child, be an intimate relationship with a child, um, et cetera, in order for the system to change, because I do still want the system to change. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to sort of sidestep a little bit, I would love to talk with you, because I'm aware of the time that you've got Bub there. We've been chatting for <laughs> over an hour. <laughs> um, I'd love to chat a little bit about your Ayurvedic practice as well. And I know that you have a passion for food also. I just, like food is a massive part of how I express um, my love and care, although I know that's just one aspect, but it's something I love. So I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, Ayurvedic philosophy, but also the food side and how that has been for you in your postpartum. I, another part of that healing year <laughs> that led up to my pregnancy, um, there was a lot of healing, emotional healing, and I would say, I'll use the word ancestral, it feels kind of big, I know, um, directly addressing my food. Food is 
you know, on a basic kind of prefrontal cortex level, I think everybody gets that food is the basic building block of life. There is an understanding within the Ayurvedic system that food is a much deeper, uh, has a much deeper implication than just that, than just like survival. It's a sense of belonging. It's a gesture of care. And for so many of us, you know, like that's one of the more typical associations with like grandmother or mother, she fed me. And that's not always the case. And so there's a lot of, there can be a lot of grief held within that experience of food. Um, eating alone, having conflict at the dinner table, being fed things that weren't appropriate for you. So like not feeling good physically for much of your life, not knowing how to feed ourselves because we're so concerned with weight or looking a certain way or not having great self-esteem. Like there are so many elements to food that are negated in our predominant conversations. You know, most people are just want someone to tell them what to eat so that they'll look or feel a certain way, which is unfortunate. But again, we're not necessarily oriented to the physical experience of pleasure and feeling fed in an emotional way that this is contributing, I think, in such a huge way to um, physical ailments. And I think arguably there's no more important time to utilize food specifically, deliberately, and well than during pregnancy and postpartum. Because it's your physical well-being, the physical well-being of this new being, and also your emotional and mental well-being. So not eating is, of course, going to give you mental and emotional, physical deficiency. Um, but also what we're eating can be a huge predictor of how the pregnancy goes, how birth goes, and how well we do in our postpartum time. If we go through our pregnancy depleted, the postpartum time is going to be that much harder. Birth can be that much harder. Um, and so I would highly recommend looking into the Ayurvedic system as it relates to food because it's elemental and you kind of bypass some of that again prefrontal cortex thing of like you need macros and micros blah, blah, like language that doesn't mean anything to anyone in an emotional sense and look like food is emotional period so if you can kind of understand from an elemental perspective raw foods are going to create this energetic effect Cooked foods are going to create this energetic effect. If you're feeling swollen and like you're retaining water, don't eat really water-retentive, watery foods. Like it, at the same time that it bypasses some of the emotional attachment to food, it also feeds that. Like it feeds the part of us that needs to be fed, which is I want to feel well. I want to feel grounded and balanced and like my needs are being met and my needs are not purely physical and caloric. I need to feel like I'm worth being nourished. 
Um, and for me, Ayurveda has been the system that addressed that, addressed all those things. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And because it's tied in, has such strong postpartum philosophy too, um, mm -hmm. it's such a, yeah, it's a great modality for being able to weave in in your lifestyle. So looking at what's warming, what's cooling, when to have that, what's um, oily, salty, what are those different flavours bringing to my world? Absolutely. And understanding how that plays out in the postpartum too. And, yeah, I love that what you've said about food and our relationship to it. And it's for me it's very akin to what we're talking about with sexuality, like what is our relationship to food? Um, how does that reflect our relationship to ourself and our self-esteem and our self-image in the world and how we nourish ourselves and also like how do we receive how do yeah. we allow that nourishment and that nurturing but and what are our boundaries as well what are our boundaries around what we allow and what we don't and the pleasure allowing yeah, I mean, to be so intertwined so tightly intertwined it's like absurd that they're not always part of the same conversation I know. <laughs> so like the receiving the nourishing the taking time like the time that it takes to prepare a meal is worth it the time that it takes to stimulate your arousal is worth it it matters that you get like female arousal trajectory some, some facts and figures, like we're all operating in the way that we are, but women take time. That is part of our arousal trajectory, part of our sexual offering to the alchemical situation that presents itself. Like, you're going to have to go slower. I need more of this kind of touch if we're going to develop into something other, you know, if that's what's happening. I, I love so much if any of the listeners or you have seen a production or read the vagina monologue. Oh, I've heard and I've never had a chance to get to it, but yeah. It's so great. There's a, there's a piece where it goes, if your vagina could speak, what would it say? And every woman on stage goes, slow down. <laughs> yes. And it's just yeah. universally true, like whatever the quote unquote end goal is. And with food, it's well established by the medical patriarchy, as well as all Eastern healing traditions. You have to slow down if your body is going to assimilate properly what you're putting in it. Yeah. You have to slow down. Yeah, and that culture, again, of sitting and being present with each other, slowing yeah. down. And most cultures have such, before the modern industrial age, where people are just woofing food down and eating on the go or you're alone as, your mom, as a mum and eating peanut butter toast as I did too many days, <laughs> even though I had some support. You're lucky you got toast. I just stick the spoon in the jar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was just the crust of my toddler, though. <laughs> Yeah. No, I did manage to make my own too. But um, sitting there together and being present with each other, that connection, like that slowing down and being present with each other in sexuality, it's just yeah. slowing the mind down and just, and that's a cultural shift again, creating those cultural shifts where we sit and we eat and we gather with food more too. Yeah. And that, the cultural shift of that, Mum doesn't need time to even register. 
yeah. full. I've had enough. There's the yes. time to register. Actually, this is not what I want anymore. I need something different. Yeah. Listen to those flavors rather than get caught up in the, in the automatic sort of response of it. And you can only do that when you slow down. And that's the nervous system again. And then being able to digest. Digest, and that again, the digestion. I love the analogy there. Like, you need to be able to assimilate and digest your food to get the nourishment, but you also need to slow down in your reality, whether it's your birth or your post birth or your sexuality, to assimilate what happened for your nervous system to digest what happened and to be able to take that in and make sense of it and turn it into whatever the building blocks that it needs to be. And whether you're saying to someone else or simply yourself, that's not what I want moving forward or that was great. How do I get more of that? Yeah. It's all in the, the reflection time. Yes. Yeah. And we do that with our eating too, talking about intuitive eating. But we'll, for a while I could eat that, but now that's not feeling good. The season, I've just gone to spring here. So I'm like, okay, I just yeah. don't need as much of that fatty bone broth. I need some real bitter herbs to get my liver going. It's feeling like it needs a break or, oh, I can eat dairy now. Awesome. For a little while. And then, oh, now I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring the butter back on. Oh, Stacey, I feel like we've really, we've covered the life cycle. We've covered <laughs> sex, birth, postpartum, food. <laughs> there were a few points that, um, yeah, I would have loved to explore, but that's always the way with podcasts. That's the beauty of them. You know, oh, we could have gone, I would love to explore that more. But um, yeah, perhaps we'll get you back another time. But I know that you have some awesome offerings um, on your website. It's really, like I said, it's a unique package of Well Woman Care. And I'd love for you to share with people what you do, what you offer. Almost half my listeners are in the US as well. Awesome. Yeah. It's mostly Australia, US, bit of UK, and then um, spread out in other places. So. Yeah. Well done, you. Um, well, I love talking to you. I'd love to come back anytime. Or maybe we can just flip it. You can be on my podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can follow those tendrils wherever the, they lead us. Um, so I do virtual coaching primarily. I also have several online offerings. I have a mantra course and a cleanse uh, based in the Ayurvedic tradition that is quite unique. Uh, the cleanse is sort of a little bit of a misnomer. It's like one of those words that catches a lot of people's attention, but we kind of demystify it through the process. It really is a process of healing our relationship to food and feeding ourselves. Um, and all that information is on my website, which is stacyramsauer.com. And uh, I do have a podcast. It's called the Sacred Body Podcast. And it's hosted by Anchor, but it's on most of the platforms. Spotify, I think, is uh, a really popular one. It's on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. And I am in this really interesting phase of being in my postpartum time. And I have the privilege to not have to be keeping busy uh, and so figuring out how all of this new information is going to look as a professional offering moving forward. So the podcast is 
where I'm investing a lot right now because it's so stimulating and fulfilling to get to have conversations with my peers and really just exciting, intelligent, passionate people. So I would love for people to check that out and just peruse my website and see how you want to participate in what I'm doing too. Um, I'm really honored to have been featured here. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And I would love to host you on my podcast, truly. So we'll have to just check in about that. When we awesome. Finish. Yeah, that would be great. Because I thought um, we didn't really go into all of the wonderful things you can do, like the wound care and vaginal steaming. And I studied with Steamy Chick as well prior to Innate. And we mm -hmm. go off on lots of those great tangents. Yeah, those would be great topics. Herbs a lot and all that sort of thing. And food, I'm sure food. It'll all, <laughs> it'll all come up. Well, did... Do you have a webinar coming up as well? Possibly? I do. Thank you for that reminder. Food and emotional nourishment. I'm hosting that this Saturday, which is November 9th. So um, I am recording that. And so based on when you get this information or if you're not able to attend live, it's 9 a.m. Mountain Time in the U.S. Uh, I am recording it and we'll be emailing out a recording for people that they'll have access to for a week. So just send me an email, stacymoves at gmail.com, and that's Stacy with an EY. Um, and I will send you happily the recording of that information. Again, it's a continuation of what we touched on here, food being the building block for not only our physical body, but emotional, mental, spiritual, and a few somatic practices and ways for people to just engage a little more deeply and compassionately with how they may be relating to food at the moment. Oh, so important. And usually can be a big thing for women after birth as well as their body changes and they yeah. may experience um, body image relationship to themselves they've never had before. So, yeah, really important work. I love that you're offering that. Thank you, Stacey. Well, I was half imagining your baby having to come in and have a feed or something, but um, you got a whole conversation on your own. Awesome. I know I did. I was I just on the verge of reaching for my pump so I can alleviate. Yeah, <laughs> we'll let you go. <laughs> Thank it's you so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope there was something there for you. Please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages, Pollination Mamas, and leave your thoughts, ideas, inspirations, feedback. I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, uh, ideas for guest speakers that you might have. And also, if you feel to, I would really appreciate if you head on over to iTunes, Anchor FM and the other platforms and left a review for the Pollination Mamas podcast. This helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there, these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience. I found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that I didn't realize were um, so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmamas.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts 
sales on my small batch, largely homegrown herbal products, latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that I might pop up on the blog occasionally. So thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon.